0: This episode was originally a live conversation recorded at the Zurich Scale-Up Cruise in August, 2023. To me, there is a red line that I would not cross, right? So if you're telling me as a buyer, I'm not allowed to fire the people for three years, I would not agree to the deal, right? Because if I take over, I need that freedom.
1: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's panel. Thank you so much for making your way downstairs. I have uh, the pleasure to moderate today's panel. For those who don't know me, my name is Dominique. I'm the head of community at uh, Swisspreneur. And, uh, yeah, it's my my pleasure to be here tonight with Roger from Frontify and Denis, former CEO at uh, SmallPDF and currently partner at uh, 3UVC. Roger founded Frontify back in 2013. It's almost already 10 years, right? And since then, he's grown the company to over 300 employees in three locations, uh, St. Gallen, London, and York. Frontify serves uh, some of the world's largest brands, such as Uber, Lufthansa, uh, and Volkswagen. Frontify uh, recently, earlier this year, acquired TwigPix. They're a Paris-based um, company specialized in handling asset delivery technologies. And with that, they're uh, strengthening their game in the digital asset management market. I'm a little bit biased, I work at Frontify, so this is really what inspired the topic of tonight's panel because when Roger gave the address to the entire company about the acquisition and talked about the big vision he has for those two companies, that was just so like inspiring and eye-opening to me that I thought more people should hear about this and you know learn about the way we can think about strategic acquisitions. And then, of course, we have Denis. I think we could say you're already like a, a Swiss favorite. You've been many times on the show and also at our events. Thank you so much. You've been the CEO at Small PDF for about four years, right? And under your watch, the company grew to 40, 50 million monthly active users, a crazy number. Um, and you acquired uh, PDF tools two years ago and have now been working on the integration of the company. Into small PDF, we'll hear about the challenges of that as well. And uh, four months ago, you left, and you're now at uh, three v- VC, but still uh, very much in touch with your people at small PDF. So you can give us all the insights. Thank you both so much for being here tonight. Can't wait to hear uh, all the insights about uh, strategic M&A. So uh, yeah, because I all promised, or I already alluded to how inspiring I found Roger's address about his strategic vision for why Frontify acquired TwigPix. I'd love to start with you, Roger. Can you share a little bit about, you know, how did that acquisition come about? What was your strategic insight that led you to wanting to acquire TwigPix?
2: Yeah, it's probably a longer story, (laughs) but I try to keep it short. Um, I think what you tend to do when you grow a bit bigger is like looking into adjacent markets and trying to understand where you can expand the business to. And actually, one of the areas that we looked at is the asset transformation delivery space, which is probably not what every one of you is handling every day. So it's a bit um, kind of a niche area. And so we looked at different companies over the course of like six months and had like kind of an idea what the ideal acquisition could be because we didn't do any so far and we wanted to have a target that is, you know, in the sweet spot in when it comes to the size, so shouldn't be too big, should make a little bit of revenue, but not too much, uh, should have maybe some funding, but not too much. Um, kind of like... Great from a technical and product perspective, but not so great commercially. So, um, and then we found this company in Paris, actually with a tip from a, from a, an investor who is not invested in us. Funny enough, but they gave us like a list of um, their research, and all of a sudden we knew a lot of the players, but we found one that we didn't know yet, and we were surprised by you know, what they've built in a short amount of time. And so, yeah, and then they came on the radar. Um, and then we we went on into the process.
1: For you, Dennis, it was a little bit different, right? Because um, PDF Tools was actually a vendor of yours for many years. So you knew them super well. Um, and then you decided to go ahead and acquire them. What was, you know, the strategic thinking the, behind the that? Yeah.
0: So, you know, I think for us... It, we thought about it twofold and then the opportunity came across. I think one piece at Small PDF, you know, we've grown heavily in corona times and we're are heavily profitable. So there's a lot of cash flow coming into the organization. Um and what you always th- obviously start to think about is, you know, how do you structure your equity story with the situation that you're in, right? So you you want to ensure that your core business is growing, but as you might have a debt facility or as you are profitable and have cash, you want to see where you waste around. And the valuation of a company that appears on your radar, uh, yeah, is interesting. Um, you start to think how the pieces kind of fit together. So that was one thought that we had at this time. The second one was specifically in the the PDF industry is very boring but very profitable, um, and very profitable industries. What usually happens is that there are big PE players that uh, have even more money than the profitable industry players, and you know put a lot of money in and then usually run a buy and build strategy within the industry. So we've seen that a lot at you know small PDF smaller players, but specifically at players who do. PDF core technology, how we call it. So they render the PDFs, they manipulate the PDFs, and as small PDF, we depended on some of them. Um, as the consolidation happened, there was a big threat for small PDF specifically that you know one of the players that we're using in our core is being acquired, and then they just raise prices by factor three, four, and we all of a sudden pay two, three million a year for our technology that serves our customers. So when the opportunity raised was essentially a, a, let's say, equity story built up plus defensive move at the same time. Um, So we heavily invested into getting the deal over the line and out competing. It was a bidding war with one of the PE players, which we luckily won without bidding the highest, Um, but with, I would say, providing the best story for the then founder of the company.
1: Yes, we'll definitely need to hear more about that dramatic story of how you went against uh, the PE bidder. Thanks for that. Um, I'm super interested, like, how do, you know, how do you start the strategic acquisition? Like, do you call up the founders? Like, hey, we're interested. Like, do you want to sell your company? Can you take us into, you know, the rooms of where those decisions were made? What was the story you told the founder? You told your investors. You raised a little extension of your Series C to finance the acquisition. What were sort of the different stakeholders? What did they need to be convinced of this?
2: Yeah, I think first of all, you see, uh, you, see uh, you do your own analysis. Uh, that's what we did first. So trying to understand what we think the business could be worth, you know, how well is the traction, trying to do our homework. Um, but then actually we knew already from the investors that they might be open to have a conversation so they wanted to go into a race, but might be open to a conversation about an acquisition too. So um I basically tried to get an intro, so um hopped on a call uh, with the founder, so one of the four founders, so but it was like one person who was the main guy. um And so just on a one hour call, um tried to understand the chemistry. Try to understand the goals of them. Um, why do you want? Do they want to raise? You know, like, where do you want do they want to get the company to? What's their personal motivations? And then when, when I felt like, okay, there is a room. You know, I, I had lots of those conversations, and you kind of feel when there is room for such a conversation. So I was pretty open about the idea. That there might be something to explore together, and he was very keen to to do that after the call. So there was a lot of chemistry after the first call. Um, so then after that, um, we went to Paris, like with a larger group, like five, six people. So met the founders um, and basically learned about each other. You know, we spent the day. Also had lunch, had dinner, had beers just try to get to know each other, because uh, most importantly, culture. Uh, we all know. It's the most difficult piece. Um, and then they were all pumped about like what we're building, what they're building, how this could look together. Um, after that, we sat together with the board and tried to come up with a, a price, which is really hard, to be honest. Super hard, because you have no idea. And you try to sense check what do they might want and they tell you a big price, and you know you're never gonna give them an offer on that level um and so you you kind of have to understand where's <laughs> where's the interesting starting point uh to start with the offer and so so then we had to get the board on board um and uh, yeah <laughs> nice one, and then also understand how to finance it because for us um we're on the track to profitability and that's our goal. We set that goal like last year and um, we didn't want to compromise on that plan. You know, we we didn't want to just use the money from the cash balance and then need six months longer to get there. So that's why we said we only do it when we can raise the money to to do the acquisition. So we got the buy-in from the board and then eventually made some negotiation rounds. where we ended up paying a bit more than we expected. Or not what we expected, but we ended basically where we wanted to land. Um, yeah, and then made the deal that was all happening in within roughly three months.
0: Yeah, maybe adding to this one. So I think in our case, it was a little different. and You touched on a lot of times, uh, a lot of points, I think that we can deepen uh, for the next two hours. but. Uh, I joined small PDF at a point where we've been 10 employees. I'm not a founder of Small PDF, but joined them as a CEO. So I think for me it sits a little different in you know what we did because I felt like my main job as small PDF CEO is first get a glimpse of what the industry looks like. And I wanted to get to know everybody in the industry right when I joined to get a feel for you know when things are happening. So the opportunities essentially occur. So I, I went into a plane and I flew around the world to essentially meet all of our competitors and all of our vendors. Um, To on the one hand understand where the strategy is heading of everybody of them, where we position ourselves, but at the same time build connection, right? So you don't need to, how do you say that, share insights on where you are going as a company. But we've always had very, very strong ties to our main competitors because at some point we might face the same challenges. And when obviously these kind of opportunities occur, I want to be the first one that they call, um, but because there might be a case where I think you're lucky in a way and you get kind of an information from the side, but it rarely happens. So you need to enforce that a little bit um, and try to be on top of your industry. So I think, therefore, in our case, it was a little different. We tried to really build these connections, and then we've been luckily the ones that they contacted uh, when, when they've been kind of in the process.
1: Yes, and then the dramatic thing happened that we promised the them, to talk about. we paid about. more than yes. we wanted. <laughs> yeah, that yes, seems to be like, like a, a common theme, <laughs> yes. But then you made an offer, had a term sheet, but then things happened differently.
0: Uh, yeah. uh, that process was too long um, and very draining, now looking two years back. So what happened was that with PDF tools is a core technology PDF vendor. It's a very classic... Small, medium-sized business, it was about 15 people at this time, five and a half million revenues, one and a half million EBTA, and the founder who ran the company for 25 years wanted to retire. Um, So he thought, you know, he wants to put the company uh, in good hands and therefore contacted us. So what happened is we negotiated a little bit, put a term sheet on the table, 13 million at this, this point. We're like, yes, bang, like 5 million revenue 2021, 2x ARR, profitable, that's going to be a no-brainer, right? So we'll do it, can afford it from a cash balance perspective. Two days later, I get a call from the founder. We got an offer for 40 from, from our core competitor. The deal is off the table, sorry for that. And it's like, okay, shit. So now we have to move obviously. And we knew that we cannot afford forty because for us that was way beyond what we can afford. But we know or we knew that we can put the best deal for him on the table from a retirement perspective, you know, to put the company in the best hands possible because PDF Tools was a Swiss company based close to Zurich. We've been a Swiss company. Both have been bootstrapped. So then we worked on the deal, I think, similar to what Roger basically described, right? So you try to work with your banks, with your board, try to come up with numbers that somewhat make sense, um, look at the cash balance of the company, so you can, you know, looking at it more from a PE perspective on what, how many debt can we put into a company to basically acquire it because it was profitable. Um, and then we came up with a price around the $30 million that he essentially agreed to, which was $10 million less that wouldn't he would get selling to American PE. But as American PEs are very bad, uh, very bad people. You always need to play that when you're in a bidding war. Um, we luckily won the process.
1: Nice. Um, yeah, well, congrats on that. Um, we already heard a little bit what your deal then looked like. So you paid 30 million in cash, right? No, we, we paid
0: 15 million in cash okay. and financed 15 million uh, from Swiss banks. Yeah. Got and it. You know, I think that's the benefit of being profitable when you're profitable. And at the point 2021, 20, obviously, the interest rates have been very nice. Um, so we financed that half of the deal with with a bank loan.
1: Nice, nice. And then obviously with the deal signed, the real work starts. It's not over, right? Uh, So I would love to dig a little bit more into that, like internal communication, communication towards your customers, and then the big piece, the actual integration of the companies. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what was it like when you communicated to your team okay, we now own this company. Was this your first acquisition at SmallPDF? PDF? SmallPDF, yes. Yeah, so personally. how did people react? What was yeah. the story?
0: I, I, I will start with a fuck-up on our side and i hand over to Roger. <laughs> um, so we we obviously planned everything super well with communication, right? We knew the companies are not 100% matching from a value perspective because SmallPDF was fast-paced growth, fully trimmed to, you know, keep the 100% year-over-year growth, whereas PDF Tools was growing at 10% year over year. They've been profitable, and they've been fine with it, right? So ambition level was very different. Um, So we we streamlined the communication um, on both ends. And then we went to PDF tools. There's obviously board of small PDF, right? You know, one announced it. Um, The then founder of the company um, gave his speech, went to his desk, put his stuff, and went out of the door. (laughs) We um, I mean, obviously had an agreement that he stays in the company for two years of time, but that obviously is not a great visual sign um, right, of uh, yeah, how you integrate an organization into kind of a broader structure. Um, so in a second, elaborate a bit more on how we tried to fix it partially, um, but yeah, wanted to start with this one.:
2: Already curious to hear more about that) <laughs> Uh, Yeah, a little bit different story in our case. The guys uh, have built the business over three years. At that point in time, it was their third business that they've built and sold. Um, And therefore, they were kind of like... They wanted to find a bigger home where they can still build what they want to build, but not be fully in charge. Um, and, And that was kind of a very different situation... So the, we were keen to keep all of them. So there were 11 people, um, and there are still 11 people who joined the company. We tried to invest heavily into not making it like a hidden thing for, for our company as well. So we started really early to bring them to St. Gallen, the whole company, to, to get to know them better, to give them a warm welcome, to... Uh, and then communicate, obviously, a bigger strategy so everyone understands, like, why are we doing it? What's what's the bigger vision behind it? Um, you know, make sure people understand that it will take time and that it needs all of our dedication to make it a success because it's about it's about people. It's You know, these people have maybe thought they're going to race around and now they are acquired by this bigger company who is, like, dramatically bigger uh, It's just not what they were expecting. So it needs a little bit of time psychology-wise to bring them, yeah, to make them compatible with that move. And yeah, so we invested a lot into giving them the stage, uh, trying to explain to them, trying to explain to our people. And, And then we set up, I think, from an integration standpoint, we set up very early a project team Internally, we have a thing called PMO, (laughs) yes, kind of corporate already, but yeah. So uh, like a project management office, and we have one dedicated person who was in charge from the beginning for the integration project. And so there was always a check-in every week, a very clear plan, what happens when, um, crazy efforts on the onboarding of the people from the people side. Um, So everyone gets their stuff, is invited for a week, really be part of the company um, yeah and now it feels like last week um, we had 300 people in St. Gallen and they were part of it and it felt like they were ne- they were always part of our company so and it's now three months in so still a lot of work ahead of us like the product integration mainly but I think from a people standpoint things are going well but it's a lot of effort I think that shouldn't be underestimated. This episode was co-produced with Splint Invest, a regulated Swiss financial institution that helps private investors diversify their portfolio by providing easy access to alternative investments like art, luxury watches, and rare whiskey. With the Splint Invest app, you can start investing with as little as 50 Swiss francs. And in fact, Swiss player listeners can make their first investment for free by downloading the app and
1: entering the promo code DALI24. Click the link in the description to learn more and redeem your investment voucher.
0: So you want to hear from how we de- we handled this situation? Yeah. yeah, so maybe one step back. So I think generally speaking, if you do M&A, corporate development, however you want to call it, and you have a target that you acquired, I think you can do two things. And there's nothing in between, right? So you can either fully integrate or you can not at all integrate and one is it's kind of separate companies with two different cultures. What we decided in the small PDF, PDF tools case is that we will, on the cultural side and people side, fully integrate um, because you know of the differences that you don't want to have in an organization. You want to have an ambitious organization. You want to strive for the same things. You want to have the same salary bands, right? The same salaries, growth plans, you name it. Um, so therefore, there's just no, you, you cannot not integrate it um, at least from a perspective of a, of a growth company, if you want to say it that way. Um, but because we had very different customer types that we served, PDF tools, very enterprise-heavy, IBM, all the governance are working with them, and small PDF, very BTC heavy um, we decided to not integrate the corporate structures, if you want to say it that way. Right? So contracts still were in separate entities. There were separate brands, separate go-to-market motions. That worked fairly well, Uh, I think, still till now, because obviously there are very different funnels, different teams working on on all of the products. Um, I think what we underestimated is kind of what you elaborated on, and you're early in the process of the the cultural integration. Um, Because I think I said that one, it needs time, and two, it's somewhat an art. It's not a science. So, you can look at all the Cisco playbooks and the McKinsey playbooks of how to integrate an organization. You still need to adapt it to the case that you have, and there are judgments that you need to do, which can either be right or wrong. Um, and you need to live with the outcome in a way. And it, I think the, what made it tricky for us, and still successful to now, if you look at the numbers, um, is that we had one sole founder owning 100% of the entity. No VC, nothing, bootstrap company, that was from one day of another not there anymore and left a huge hole in the organization. Culturally, we could fill it, but obviously the people within the organization felt a bit that he was gone um, because the, the demand was different that we put on the people. And I think we went a little too fast in setting the expectations and didn't let it you know, flow and roll for some time. So I think this is what I would do differently the next time, just giving it more time. So in looking back, I think what I learned is every integration needs about ten, two years to, to happen, right? And you really need to give it time. People need to adapt if you want to keep the people, right? There are other cases where this might not make any sense, but uh, I think if you really want to build one entity, it's the only way forward.
1: Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Is there anything from your perspective, Roger, obviously now having less had less time since the acquisition, but is there already anything that you think you would have maybe done a bit different even also before the deal or now in the time since the acquisition?
2: I mean again as as you said, we're super early in the process. I think <laughs> all the, all the challenges the I mean some have been here already, but like a lot of them will come especially when it's about product integration after like people have had uh, the first excitement about joining a new company and then getting settled and then maybe will not work out and stuff. So I think the main challenges are still coming. Um, But I mean, there has been a few things on the negotiation side that I would definitely do differently. Uh, I think we had a pretty good idea internally what we think we want to offer because of like we knew the people, we knew what they might expect. And I think it was pretty close to not happening because we also, because of the discussions in the board and so on, we went in a slightly lower than we might think might be too low. Um, and I think it worked out well in the end, but we, we just, in the end land that we wanted to land, but I think it's tricky to to then listen too much to other people at that point in time, and we probably should have done more what we thought we want to do um, and uh, funny enough, we had like maybe ten of the eleven people who are like let's say easy easy integration, and maybe one person is still like still like a little, we had to find a little bit of a solution uh, to to find the right place for the person. And, and there might be still like some challenges ahead um, to integrate them well. But uh, yeah, I mean, so far so good, but I think there will be a lot of challenges ahead.
1: Cool. I look forward to uh, seeing them all. <laughs> um, cool. So I want to wrap it up at this point and then also give you all a chance to ask questions. But just as like a little you know, final sort of point. Very generally, what do you think is a good point for a company to start thinking about strategic acquisitions and con- controversially, like, when should you definitely not try to do a strategic acquisition like that?
2: Should I go first? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, when uh, when we started to look into the first targets, we kind of make, made it a little bit for fun. I have to be honest, I mean, we just looked at some, some players and we had the discussions just to learn. We never had, in the early days, we never, like a year ago when we started doing these conversations, we didn't really think we're going to acquire the company. But we want, you have to start learning about it, you know. You have to start to learn about the process. And, and then in this case, particularly, it was maybe the fourth or fifth we looked at, Um, some were in different spaces and just everything was perfect from from the dynamics but still i i wasn't uh you know i I was still like not optimistic that it will happen actually because that's just yeah it's a really big step for a company to acquire another company it's big it's really big and then you have to finance it you have to everything has to work out they have to accept it, their investors have to accept it, price needs to be right, and so on. It's it's challenging, right? So um, for us, it came quite naturally, to be honest, because we're like a series C, post series C company. And it's a thing that be- you get approached more with cases. So similar to what you're saying, like I talk a lot with tons of people in the space and investors and so on. So you get approached more often. Just naturally you get approached more often by, you know, there's this company who wants to sell, this company who wants to sell. But normally you don't want to buy these companies. You want to have the other ones who are not actively looking to sell. Um, So you naturally want to be more proactive about it. So you want to build an M&A muscle. You want to build a strategy around it. And naturally, when you are post-Series C, you are more talking to investors who want to invest, I don't know, 100 million plus. And you only do such a raise if you have an idea what's going on with M&A. And so we had to start thinking about it anyway. So we had to start figuring out if we like that or not. And then, and then this opportunity came up, so it was quite natural. And I think at a certain stage, from a funding journey-wise... You, have, you naturally have to look into it, I believe. Yeah,
0: I think at the knip times with me um, about 10 years ago, one of the investors tried successfully to force us to a merger of two 50% performing companies with the hypothesis that 50% performing plus 50% performing is 100% performing. Uh, it's the opposite. Uh, I think it's a minus in between. So adding, I think, to what Weather said, I think you really need to be ready as an organization to digest the transaction, right? Being it from a financial perspective, being it from a cultural perspective, being it from a processal perspective, um, because otherwise you'll... I would say it interferes a lot with your core business. It will definitely put the focus into a different direction, and you need to have your core business under control, uh, right? So your operating model needs to fit. Your performance needs to be on par, and the size needs to be ready. Um, I think you know, below fifty to one hundred people, I would never think about really doing M and A because you need three, four people to care about it. You need proper processes, proper structures. So I think there are certain things that need to fit. Um, and then, from this point, I think I would agree right? it 's about building knowledge, experience, capacity, muscle on this front, and just starting with it because at a certain level, series B, series C above, it is an expectation. right If you want to sell a company for a billion, you know in most of the cases if you 're not Instagram, you need to have a proper structure, you need to have proper numbers. And you obviously can accelerate these numbers. So there, there, there are good things about doing M&A because you can grow quicker inorganically, but you can grow quicker. You can maybe tap into other opportunities that you're not able to tap in with your core business or with your core team, um, but it really needs to make sense.
2: Maybe just one little thing to add. We didn't really discuss that, but like it was about buy or build kind of thing. Um, obviously, this was, it's, it's Part of the process, as well, to figure out, so if you spend i don 't know in our case it was like mid single digit um, if if you if you invest the money into the product team and you hire people and you build it, so in our case, we thought it's going to take us maybe one and a half years to get to the same point if we hire a team of four or five people to build it, and then you start calculating and you start looking at it. I think it's good exercise to do that. Um, And then obviously that's kind of the best case. (laughs) So if you figure it out and there's some talent which you will not get and and so on. So I think it's always this question. um, And I'm a big fan of building it on on our own in general. But I think in this case particularly, it, it wasn't worth it. And it's about like the speed to market. Some of our competitors were a bit ahead in the topic and with this acquisition, we knew we instantly make a leap and we are like the best in that piece from around our competition. And so it's had so many benefits compared to the build case. But still, it's a lot of money. You know, when you when you run a startup and you, you spend a you know, few millions or whatever and it's just gone, it's not so nice. <laughs> because you also remember the times when you ran like a few years with that amount of money and now... It's gone within a day, so it's tricky.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I believe that and a great word to to end this on. Thank you so much, both of you, for for sharing your experience here. Um, I now want to open it up to you all with questions. We'll take about three to four questions probably. Let's see how, how long they are. Anybody wants to go first to break the ice? That's always the tricky one.
2: Yeah. Um hi. so did you did you um, think about
0: hiring an investment bank or or A boutique to support you? I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> they're just driving cries. <laughs> no, we, yeah, I, I think it's it's twofold, right? So I think on the one hand, they're definitely good deals to be handled by investment bankers, so no questions about that. I think for us as small PDF, we always have been more hesitant on deals which are run by investment banks than without because th- we are not the classic, we, we haven't been the classic buyer, if you want to say that right. You don't want to overpay, usually in deals where you have a personal relationship built with the the, the board company, you get a better price and it's a little easier. Um, so, that's the reason I think why for at least M&A strategies from a scale-up perspective, in our cases, it did not really make sense. Um from a selling perspective, I might think differently,
2: right? Um, but as a buyer, it's always a little tricky. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, you know, I generally, we're in the brand management space, so when I get the decks from the investment bank, because I'm, like, scared as hell, uh, I don't like that. So it's uh, even though I get the point of at a certain point in time it might be the most viable way if you do more, more and more. So nothing bad about that. But I think the personal relationships and generally, like from day one, building that relationship with the founders and understanding the culture from day one, not having a a bridge in the middle, somewhat which dilutes kind of your understanding of the culture from day one. For me, it's super critical and may, that may be different at the later stage. Maybe when you have done it a few times or maybe the companies get bigger or you are bigger. Um, but yeah, for us, it wasn't a wasn't topic.
0: So this one is probably more for Dennis. We will have to ask Roger in two years again. Um, has the acquisition delivered what you were expecting? On numbers, yes. Um, on value, maybe two yes. Uh, I think what you have to have in mind, we acquired at 4X ARR in mid-2021, right? So, if you go to market now and sell the company, it's grown 20%, 30% year over year, which is great. Would you get the, the same multiples? Maybe, right? Um, but it would need to be a strategic buyer, um, but looking ahead, it definitely had paid back. And uh, you know, for us, the lucky case was the company still had cash, right? so you, we, we could kind of work with it. Um, and then if you look at the net price, after all depreciations, cash, and you name it, we're definitely way below the 30. Um, so from that perspective, I would say it, it paid back, but it costed attention from a small PDF perspective. And I think this is where... Maybe next time we're more reflective, as it was a defensive move, it made total sense. So I would do it again.
1: So maybe because you asked when should you think about acquiring a company from the other side. I don't know if you had the conversation with the founders of the companies that you acquired. Did they think about getting acquired from the very beginning on and now they're like, oh, we thought about this from the early beginning and now it's happening Or was it they never planned to get acquired that early and your offers were just too good to decline?
2: Ich glaube... uh, Ah, okay. (laughs) Hoi, Laura. No, 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 sorry. Sorry, I was just thinking. Um, uh, Wait a second. So, yeah, in, in our case, it was, they were primarily focused on the fundraise. So the main challenge was that they were communicating to their team that they're going to do a fundraise. So, you know, someone expected that they can hire a team, which they may not be able to do now this to the same degree. So they were folks, that was plan A. And the other one was not something that they planned for, but they did it in the past. So they generally were, I think the founders were kind of looking for that. You know, they were they were looking for a way... Uh, that the struggle somewhat stops, I think, uh, because yeah no uh, I
1: think we all empathize <laughs> we can, we
2: can all we can all relate to that <laughs> uh, and i i fully they 're a bit uh, more experienced from an age perspective than maybe most of our companies, so on average, so they 've seen a lot and 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 they n- they didn 't want to build another company and and they were not feeling like confident about the energy that they have to put into the journey. Also, it's a little bit a game also that at least I found is important to play a little bit from a buyer perspective. It's about you sharing your vision and making it extremely hard for the other party to say, okay, basically we have to do the same journey alone and we're like seven years uh, late and we have to build actually this and this and this and this and this and that to get where you are, and then we can start benefiting from it. So I think the moment when you can really articulate a, a great vision, that is also, it's extremely hard mentally to not take it, I think, when the price is okay. Because it's just like, I think mentally it's just unbelievably hard to say no, I think.
0: Yeah, I think two two thoughts. So one is I think the unintentional deals are the, usually the best ones for both sides um, because they come naturally in a way. Right? So you feel connected personally. You might have a business relationship already. So um, then they somewhat appear. And I think the second thought on this one is I would generally advise to not shy away from having that conversation with any of your partners. Um, but because if you don't have the conversation, it will not happen. Uh, and I think specifically, if you have, you know, great big vendors or strategic partners or investors, whatever it's going to be, to have that talk about, you know, it doesn't make sense to team up, right? So it's not about I'm selling the co- in most of the cases I'm selling the economy, but does it make sense to team up? It's a valuable discussion to have, and you would be. Curious about you know how much comes out of it. Even if, if the end game is not, I'm going to buy the company, but more we're team we're partnering maybe in the first step and see how things go. Um, so yeah, don't shy away from that conversation.
1: Okay, L- yeah, no, for sure. Last question, and then I think we're just in time for dessert, which I think is great, also.
0: <laughs> Hi, oh hello, hello. Okay, so uh, I once sold my first startup. And my main concern was exactly that. Will my users, my customers, be in good hands? And uh, I even made some demands to make sure it happened. <laughs> right? I want you to communicate this way. I want things to go this way and that way. So my question is, uh, did you get any demands or, or directions or, or even suggestions on how the buyer would like things to go after the acquisition
2: in our case we see them as the driving force behind that part of the business so it's a partnership you know it's like i want them to be to get to to together with them shape how we do it and that's how we did it you know we looked at okay what is important for your customers what is important for our customers how do you feel like you want to do the communication to them versus we do it to ours and I think for us, it was always the goal to have people on board who wanna continue building what they started, you know, like but in a somewhat bigger context, and it would be pretty stupid for us if we just completely ignore their customers that they have today, so they have a viable business that is growing heavily um but the future is a combined offering, so I think we tried to early on be open about that, you know, that their brand might disappear at some point, you know, or most likely will disappear at some point. So are you fine with that? You know, and then like, okay, and what's your idea? What's our idea? And then find kind of a common ground. So it never is like two voices talking to the customer, so it becomes one. Um, I think it's all about including them and seeing them as part of the team and not these guys we acquired you know it's like they're now part of our company so let's do it together
0: yeah and it, yeah, i think it's about setting expectations on the right things right so i think on the customer front or value front anyway want to make sure that you align um, to me there is a red line that i would not cross right so if you're telling me as a buyer I'm not allowed to fire the people for three years, I would not agree to the deal, right? Because if I take over, I need that freedom. Obviously, I don't want to fire the people, right? But I think I want to have the freedom to do so. And I think this is the expectation that needs to be fine-tuned in the middle, right? So I think on the one hand, you want to lean in and kind of shake hands in the middle, but it's clear that depending on how the deal is structured, obviously, I think in the case of, of Russia, the people are still on board, right? So they are driving the part of the business. In PDF Tools case, the founder went out of the business and is supporting as an advisor. So naturally, I need to lean in more
2: and need more freedom. And I think this is what you need to balance in a way. And, And just adding, because that was your answer. So there wasn't a demand that we wrote into the contract. So there wasn't any requirement on how we run things in the contract. So there was just shared expectations, discussions, but nothing like written down. Uh, it's like, the, I think in the, in the term sheet, there was stuff like this, the intention, you know, to keep everyone. And there's some salary stuff was in there so that we pre-agreed. Um, we, we haven't had anything in the contract that would hinder us from changing anything afterwards.
1: Cool. Great. Thank you both so much, Danis and Roger. Thank you all for uh, being a great audience today. Let's give it up for the panelists. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.